The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. senses and challenge your beliefs a world where science and religion clash or do they you will meet real people and hear real stories but you will not believe you will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds but you will not believe this is the new england ghost project welcome to the nightmare good evening everyone and welcome to another edition of ghost chronicles international I am Ron Kolok, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. And with me, all the way from across the pond, is Mr. Parascience himself, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? Well, it's evening, isn't it? Well, it's evening over here, but we still got the sun shining. Sorry if I sound a little odd tonight. I'm putting you Skype headset and I can't hear myself, so uh, the lips are moving, but I don't know if there's any words coming out. Unfortunately, I can hear you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you? I'm very well. We're, we're enjoying some uh, unseasonable sunshine here in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. We're not used to this sort of weather. You know, you know, I watch the Midsummer's Murders, and it's never raining there. It's always sunny in Midsummer's County. Yeah, is there anybody left alive in Midsummer? Because I, don't I reckon know. the only—I mean, the chief suspect has to be the detective or his sergeant, because they're the only two people who are alive. Everybody else seems to get bumped off two know, at a time in every, in every episode. I, I know. And did you see uh, Doctor Who did a uh, paranormal episode? I heard with, about it. I missed it, though. I, I haven't seen with, it. With a uh, haunted house and a, uh, a paranormal investigator and a psychic. It was it was Ooh. pretty cool. Any of them plumbers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I'm still, I'm, I'm still wondering whether our guest is uh, going to uh, materialize. I guess he's uh, having some Skype know. problems. You can see him on Skype's probably earlier than I can because I'm, I'm on regular phone here. But uh, I thought you'd like to know is that I did an investigation last weekend, uh, last week, I guess, uh, Wednesday, at a lighthouse, a haunted lighthouse in Rhode Island. I, s- I saw your uh, Facebook updates uh, that you were heading off and uh, that yeah. we should be ready with the life preservers and the mm-hmm. Coast Guard. Oh I'll God! I, need, I needed that. We went there. The the, uh, the the waves were really, really, really choppy. The sea was choppy, and the, the boat that we went over with had no spot. We went in at night, of course, late at night. But I think it was like uh, about eight or nine at night, and uh, there was uh, no spotlight, no windshield wipers, and the water was breaking over the boat. And yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, just that, just add to the excitement of the whole. Well. Did did you have any experiences? This is this is the real question. You know, that's isn't that relative though? 
Uh, did your relatives have any experiences then? Because it wasn't there. Um, a 15 is, degree rise was interesting. Um, you might say it's paranormal, not necessarily, but it was certainly interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of possible causes, aren't there? We both know. Like what? Um, like what? I'd like, I'm interested in it. Well, I mean, if we go start off with the most obvious, it's an equipment malfunction. Okay. Um, within the sensor, followed by. Uh, was, you know, you said the camera was in a room that was locked off, so that pretty well eliminates the fact that, you know, you have a group of people in this space, so they raise the temperature, so we can rule that one out. Um, I, I wasn't there, so what else was in the room? Um, did the sun change position? Uh, what was the lighting like? Did the heating come on in the middle of the night? No heat. No heat in place. No electricity, no heat. Well, what you've got there is an interesting one little piece of information. It's uh -huh. on its own, as you've already said. It's it's not indicative of anything but an interesting piece of information. I but know. Isn't it I guess cool? if, if, if it were me, then yes. I guess if I was going back next time, I would aim mm -hmm. to take uh, some data logging thermometers and right. put them in the same place mm -hmm. and uh, see how what they record. Good idea. We do have those, and we'll, we'll do that. Um, I, I think that would be the, the next logical step. I, I do, too. Um, it, yeah, I, I, you know, of course, I do have to look at the, the uh, uh, equipment and uh, make sure that it's uh, functioning properly. You know, I have to try that in mm. my house, for instance, uh, and see if it, it does work. And you know what is interesting, and since I had my last conversation with you, is we were talking about uh, EMF and calibration. Yes. And uh, that's, you know, most of these inexpensive EMF meters, I'm not aware that they can be calibrated. Uh, you're absolutely right. They can't be. Um, the vast majority of the fifty-dollar ones can't be. When you when you get up to the um, pieces of equipment that are designed for industrial uh, use, mm -hmm. um, then often you'll find on the manufacturer's or the supplier's website um, or ordering page that you can have the basic option, or you can have a, a certificate of calibration option, uh, which you pay extra for. 
Um, and then, you know, you can have it sent back annually to the uh, supplier or the manufacturer and have the calibration certificate renewed. I know. So that seems to be one of the problems that we do have, uh, I guess, with these inexpensive meters. Um, well, that's only one of the problems with the inexpensive meters. The main one being is that they only tell you that the general EMF um, is higher or lower. You know, you, you, crucially, we just don't know anything about the frequency information. It's like um, it's like using a sound meter and saying it's it's louder in here. Uh, the next door. But what's louder? Is it singing? Is it guitar playing? Is it drumming? Is it... You know, we've got no information about the sound itself apart from it's high, uh, louder or quieter. And with the basic EMF meters, again, we have no information about the type of EMF or the sort of EMF, simply that there is more or less of it. Um, so they are they are very, very restrictive in use. But as a general litmus test... Um, you know, you, you can um, you can make some useful information from them. You know, you can say, well, yeah, there's a lot of EMF in here. Now we need to get another piece of equipment and determine the frequency of it, the source of it, etc., etc. So, you know, as a rough and ready guide, it's rather like, you know, um, you can use an iPhone as a rough and ready EMF meter, you can use an iPhone uh, as a rough and ready infrasound meter. It won't give you any information about how much is there or or the frequency, but it will give you an indication uh, whether it's worth taking in some you know, more more appropriate, more advanced test test equipment. Well, we're still waiting for our guest, but evidently he still hasn't accepted our uh, thing yet. By the way. I just got a notice from the producer, so... I, I just saw that come up on Skype. I'm just looking the, in case there's a second Skype contact. Um, mm-hmm. just, but just bear with me a minute. Yeah, no problem. Just so, chat that was, yourself. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the, you know, the, the interesting things that happened that night. And the other thing, uh, of course, is we attempted table tipping again, which is... Uh, interesting. Uh, we did it twice the first time we were there, and this was the first time for almost everybody involved, other than myself. And uh, we had really uh, good results with the small table, and then when we did it on the big table, which is a four and a half uh, foot uh, oak table, double pedestal, a very large table, uh, we had a pretty amazing results. So um, this time we tried it again. It was the same three of us that used the small table last time. And um, we got some results, but it it didn't seem as more energetic as it did the first time. And then the second time we, we went upstairs and we tried the big table and we had very little results at all on the big table. And then I decided to try, well, let's see if we can, you know, fake the big table, see if we can actually move it on purpose. And we attempted to do that with the three of us, and we didn't have very much results at all with it, and uh, certainly not what we had uh, the last time. Now, there's a couple differences between the first time we did it and the second time we did it. In the, in the first time we did it, uh, it was a super moon, which was kind of cool. I don't know if it has any direct effect, but that's one of the factors that I know that was different. 
And the other thing on the lodge table, we had six people, and this time we only had three. So those are the two uh, factors that were involved in that. So uh, I guess Steve is still trying to get our uh, guest. Steve? Um, I've just sent you a new, uh, an older Skype contact that might work. It might be worth worth giving it a try. Um, and you sent that to who? Uh, well, if you have a look in your Skype inbox, you'll find it sitting there. Oh, uh, that's a whole new screen. I get like 12 screens up here now. Um, can you put that on the uh, the chat room? One second. Sure. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons. And there Ryan you go. Right here on TojiNet. Uh, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So, anyways, so did you hear my babbling about the... Uh, I did. Um, I was listening to every word you said, and mm. it's it's not an area of uh, that, that we, we tend to use. Uh, we, we tend to fight shy of the more spiritual techniques. That's not uh -huh. to say that um, there's anything per se wrong with people doing them. It's just that um, we... Parascience and in, in you tend to stay away from them. We tend to stay away from them, but there have been investigations where, for example, um, there's been a, a need to replicate an earlier experiment. For example, mm -hmm. uh, at the Hex Nightclub, um, the, re the, uh, the original reason we were called in there was because members of staff had uh, used uh, a Ouija board uh, and also conducted uh, some seances. And as part of the investigation process, we asked them to recreate that original right. set of circumstances. Um, and, of course, we, we did put participants from our own team in as observers and also, um, you know, sort of, uh, participants within the, within the science itself. So that I don't have anything, uh, you know, I don't object to people doing them or using mm -hmm. that technique. It's just that our preferred method is one, basically, of observation. Um, right. Rather than, well, isn't, rather than isn't that kind of, But isn't isn't that? I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we investigate the unknown. We investigate the paranormal. So certainly, uh, something like this is is unknown. Why a table moves like that? That we we can analyze it. I mean, if we don't look at it, then we can't analyze it. But at least if we investigate it, we can say, okay, there are possible explanations. But uh, you know, like Jack Hunter does a lot with the seance. You know who Jack Hunter is, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he does a lot with the, the uh, seances, and, and but he's an observer. He's an anthropologist. So, I mean, to me, that's why we use these techniques is not necessarily to say that they are proof of the paranormal, but to say, okay, these, this is a technique that has been used for hundreds of years, uh, Let's see if there's any validity. What's what's the results we get with it? Versus, for instance, a temperature tag or something like that. I mean, that can only tell us so much, anyways. Uh, so that's why we explore these different things. And, and, um, and it's a perfectly reasonable approach. It's yeah. a perfectly reasonable approach. I mean, what we have to bear in mind is that I don't think there is any any question that the movement of the table comes from the sitters. And I think you know the spiritualists will agree with with that. Uh, hypothesis, mm -hmm. right. because if we go right the way back to the uh, early days of spiritualism, it was one of the questions that intrigued the uh, physicist Michael Faraday. Um, you know, he was perplexed by this table movement, and he designed a experiment. He, he used a modified table with a, with a double top that was uh, 
suspended on springs. Mm-hmm. And it showed quite clearly that the uh, movement was actually coming from the sitters. They were the, they were the driving force behind the table motion. And, and you know and what they're going to say, right? Well, what, well uh, spiritualists have never contested that. Um, mm-hmm. what, what they have, what they have uh, said in, in response has, has been, well, yes, we're supplying the motive power but the um, intelligence for uh, intent for making the table move and controlling the direction um, of the movement comes from the spirits acting through the sitters um, because, the, you know, the, the, the spirits don't have sufficient energy. However, there are also intri- intriguing and interesting cases where um, we're talking here specifically of table levitation where it... It's quite clear from the accounts that motive power supplied by the sitters is a is a a very very poor uh, answer because they're in no position to be able to manipulate or lift the table to the angles and heights that they claim that it, it's reaching. So right. there is also an argument, uh, and it's been researched by psychical researchers for what are called ectoplasmic or telepla- teleplasmic rods or forces uh, emanating from from either the medium or from the sitters um, that are being used. And in fact, um, in uh, in and around the First World War uh, over in Belfast in Northern Ireland, um, William Crawford, a Society for Psychical Research investigator and an engineer, uh, looked very closely at the table movements that were being uh, witnessed inside a seance circle Uh, and he used a series of balances and devices in order to measure the forces and his conclusion was that uh, some form of ectoplasmic rod or arm or emanation from the medium uh, Catherine Golliger uh, was actually responsible for the motions of the table, and there have been others who've who've claimed to have used equipment to measure these these uh, teleplasmic or ectoplasmic forces. So there is there is quite interesting arguments from both camps, but I think I think the vast majority of spiritualists uh, would would certainly subscribe to the idea that they are the motive power but not necessarily the intelligence behind the table movements. Right. I mean, that's very similar to dowsing or, or uh, pendulum dowsing, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I know when Karen came over here, uh, Karen O'Keefe, and I should, was, you know, doing my pendulum stuff as well, and he says, you don't really think the spirits move that? I said, of course not, they don't, and I, and I know they don't. And even when I was taught it, I was told that, uh, that the, you know, somehow, some way, you influence the pendulum. Uh, it's not that, the interesting thing is we haven't been able to uh, figure out exactly how. I mean, there are theories, but they haven't ever been able to measure, you know, for instance, they talk about uh, different muscles and so forth. I mean, but they can't really, you know, demonstrate those muscles moving while the pendulum does. So that that in itself is kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, but it's always been the thought that the it's, spirit it's, moves through you. It's yes, a little bit, it, it, it's, it's, you say it's interesting, but it's also a little bit um, of a of a cop-out, because we certainly do have the technology. We certainly do have the expertise to measure... But why don't we do it? These exa- well, this is, this is the point I'm making. That we, you know, it would be very, very easy for some of the, the sceptics, like Chris French, who does 
have a track record for being very critical of the ability of doubters. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, one of the, th- the ideas he so often throws into the mix is that you know we're dealing with micro muscle uh, movements, right. and that the movements are, are coming from the the dowser. And that's not contested by the dowser themselves. The dowser exactly. says, you know, it is just uh, the needle on the meter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it would be very, very straightforward for biomedical science to measure these small muscle uh, mu- uh, movements within the fingers, arms, joints, etc. Um, but, as you say, why haven't they done it? That's why I really, you know, I mean, there's so many people that that uh, uh, easy and quick to criticize, but yet, you know, and, and they always throw out, like, textbook answers. Uh, you know, they don't say, okay, well, okay, I, I can prove this, all right, so let's let's set up this experiment. We'll go into a, a biomedical, we'll connect you to whatever, and uh, we can uh, actually measure the whatever muscles are moving, whatever, and then we can have the proof that this is what drives the pendulum. Uh, but yeah. no one's ever done it. Well, I remember a long, long time ago, there was an episode of our favourite television programme. And at the end of it... Oh, uh, sorry? <laughs> yeah. And at the end oh, of it, cool. the, paras- the parapsychologist um, expressed interest in some of the things that had taken place and offered forward some ideas. Um, it was specifically, I think it was the, the uh, railway hotel at Dudley. And I think a bed had moved or um, had been caught on camera moving. And uh, the parapsychologist at the end of the show came up with the idea that it was certainly interesting. Uh, he would like to go back and he would like to perhaps to, uh, have a, a structural engineer look at it because the, it might be heavy vehicles moving past the building and causing the vibration. And I remember some months later saying to him, well, you know, you have the full facilities of a university um, and there must be structural engineers and there must be building uh, engineers and there must be, you know, guys who can measure vibration. So did you ever go back and did you ever undertake those measurements that you claimed were so interesting? And the withering look I got uh, basically answered the question for me. Um, you know, it's very, very easy, as you say, to sit there and throw out the pat answers. If we go back to, if we if we just look at orbs for a minute, um, yep. and I, yeah, I was trying not to bring them up, but it is relevant. Yeah, I thought this was a no-orb um, zone. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I've, I've brought them in. Um, okay. You know, for, for a long, long time, there were an awful lot of people offering their ideas that orbs were simply dust. They were insects. Mm-hmm. They were droplets of water. Um, and it, you know, many a heated debate raged back and forth about about exactly that. Um, but nobody nobody seemed to want to do you know uh, the really obvious experiment to demonstrate the it. Yeah, the so, get, yeah, yeah. I mean, you cannot just accept even from somebody who has a PhD or you know claims to have years and years and years of experience you simply cannot accept what they're saying is gospel you should in all instances seek to demonstrate and that's how science works you you know you you have a hypothesis and you seek to prove or disprove the hypothesis mm-hmm. um 
I, that's the way. It's the only way that we're ever going to find out anything, isn't it? You know, you could argue that the tables are lifted by dead people, and I could argue that tables are lifted by the sitters. But there are certain experiments that we can do that Faraday did do that demonstrate unequivocally that the motive power uh, in in certain circumstances is coming from the sitters. Now, I would argue that there are cases that, that would possibly go against that, but that doesn't mean to say that you can't have more than one explanation. You know, the, the, the simple analogy is um, you put petrol in, into a car, um, it goes into a big metal lump at the front, it makes a noise and the car moves forward. But if you try that with a truck the thing won't move at all. You have to use diesel. So there's, there, are, there can be two very similar methods that are, uh, that are producing the same end result. Um, and, you know, you have to explore all of the possibilities with good experiments and good science. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, the first time I saw a table uh, tipping was at the, a conference I did almost, oh, God, it's got to be close to 15 years ago at the Hooten Mansion. And uh, some of the Salem witches came up, and they had a table, and uh, they got around it, and, they, you know, they, they put their fingers. But the, the, the one thing I noticed is they put their fingers under the table, and then the table took off, and they ran with the table, that, and almost falling over trying to keep up with it. Uh <laughs> And I looked at it then, and I said, well, you know, that's really, you know, I don't see anything paranormal with that. You're simply moving the table with your fingers. And and uh, there was another gentleman, Josh, from the uh, uh, Berkshire Paranormal. And I says, here, we had a big eight-foot uh, cougar table. And I says, here, take one finger, put it on the one end, and I'll put one on the other one. And we picked up that eight-foot table with, that had like particle water in it. It was a heavy table and, and it was, yeah, it wasn't real easy to do, but we were able to do it just with one finger. So to me, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't uh, like anything paranormal to me. Uh, the next time I did it is, is I actually went to a table tipping class uh, by a, that was run by a spiritualist. And uh, it was uh, really interesting, and but once again, it was a small table, and I could see how you know possibly you could influence it. But you know, I kept looking at it and looking at it. Okay, can you do this with it? Can you do this with it? And sure enough, the, there were, I got to the point where I was running out of explanations at why it was doing what it was doing. So even though you know originally I looked at it and said, okay, there's nothing paranormal here, I continued to look at that whole phenomena and experiment mm -hmm. with it and, and deal with different people who use it. And, and you know, I eventually I came up with some stuff I couldn't explain. Well, that's, that's what... Uh, it, it's very similar to what I've been saying, uh, trying to describe what I do uh, to, to, to people. It, it is, you know, it's rather like throwing balls at a coconut shy. Uh, we start off with you know lots of lots of balls and a few coconuts, and you you throw explanations, you test ideas, um, and you see what's left at the end because it's the what's left still stuck on the pole um, are the most interesting coconuts, and that they're the ones that we need to be expending our time looking at, and that's why I'm quite keen uh, on you know getting this idea that things like dust isn't worth pursuing any longer because. Um, you know, we would be better. You know, we we would better spend our time looking uh -huh. at 
other things that are, you know, that are more interesting instead of running yeah. around with K2 meters or talking to our mag light torches or photographing. Well, I'm thinking about mag light torches. We have to take a break here because I hear the music. So, uh, so did I. Yeah, so maybe we can get a hold of our guests during the break. But anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And we'll be right back after the following messages. So stay tuned. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Parax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. Go ahead. Okay. 
uh, on my Monday mo- on my Monday morning show, Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition, uh, I started this thing called the Human Soul Project, and I started to look into what is the human soul. Uh, you know, can it be measured? Uh, where does it come from? What happens to it? And uh, it it started off pretty good. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this and. And there are some people of uh, pretty reputable repute. Is that even a word? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, that have some great theories on it. And um, have you ever looked into that at all? Uh, well, obviously, I, I uh, personally haven't, but I do know that there have been some researchers. I'm just trying desperately to remember them. Um, um, in fact, Stuart Hemerhoff uh, is one of them. Well, um, one. Um, it's a Massachusetts one, back at the turn of the century. Oh, uh, you're just... talking about uh, Duncan McDougal. That's the guy, yeah. Duncan yeah. McDougal, Duncan McDougal 21 grams. Yeah, he weighed he weighed the person whilst they were alive, and then he weighed them after they had died. But there have been others. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, there have been various attempts to detect the human soul, but uh, I guess over there uh, in Massachusetts... Uh, you, you probably uh, know more about the work of McDougal. Uh, do you I want do, to yeah. bring everybody up to speed on that? Because uh, okay. I think you and yeah, I might uh, be leaving them behind there. Duncan McDougal is, it was, it, I found him fascinating. Uh, a local newspaper did an article on him when I first started uh, Ghost Chronicles on WCCM, oh, probably 15 years ago. And uh, I just was totally enthralled by it because see, here was the guy, it was uh, 19. One, I believe, believe it was April 10th when he started this thing in Dorchester, Mass. He was from Havel, Mass. And he was a doctor, and basically he had six uh, volunteers, uh, people terminally ill, and had these special beds made up. And basically he weighed them and weighed them. But he didn't weigh them by himself. Otherwise, there were like, uh, I think there were either four or five other people involved in this, and each one took independent uh, weights so that it wasn't, uh, you know, skewed by anything. So it was, uh, so when they found out that when when the, the human died, uh, and counting for, you know, air in the lungs and the, and the fluids, uh, loss of fluids and all that, that, they lost 21 grams, and that's where the, the movie 21 grams came from, actually, was from that. And he also euthanized 15 dogs, and they didn't lose any weight, so I don't know what that means, but he's believed... You're just obsessing that, all the dog lovers now. Yeah, I know. I always do. I always do. I'm just reading just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Well, well I've, I've just uh, dug up some research that contradicts uh, the 21 grams idea. Um, this okay. was conducted by uh, East German researchers back in the 1980s. Uh, and they were the 1930s. Uh, no, the 1980s. Um, they weighed more than 200 patients just before and immediately following death, mm-hmm. and they uh, reached the conclusion uh, that in in every case the weight loss was exactly the same, one three thousandth of an ounce. Um, and they reported their findings in the German science journal Horizon. What's quite interesting, though, is the, is the response to the uh, German experiment by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, this was under Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And it's, uh, the spokesman for the Vatican says that they were aware of the German study and he reportedly reported to have been, uh, himself to be most impressed. The Roman Catholic Church, I'm quoting, has never concerned itself with the weight of the soul, but we are pleased with scientific confirmation of, ex- of its existence. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, one three thousandth of an ounce or 21 grams. Mm. I see CC in the uh, Parallax thing. She says that the... Uh, 21 grams thing is a fraud. I, it, it, fraud is not necessarily the proper word because what he was doing wasn't fraudulent. It was perhaps uh, his results were, uh, how can I say this? Uh, <laughs> Misguided? Yeah, maybe he got, uh, I don't know. But anyway, it wasn't fraud in in that sense. When you you talk about a fraud, you talk about someone who is deceitful on purpose, and and this was certainly not deceitful on purpose. And I noticed this, too, because when I read an article, there were a lot of people said, oh, this is all a fraud, this is a thing. And, And that is absolutely not true, because he took this in earnest, and, uh, you know, he conducted it uh, as far as he knows scientifically. So uh, she was saying that the scales were the wrong scales, blah, 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 and whatever. But uh, it, it was not a fraud. Uh, um, I, I don't think there's any accusation of fraud made against, or should be made against McDougall because, you know, he, he put together an experiment that he believed was... Um, you know, to test to test his hypothesis. And way ahead of his time, too. Yeah, if the soul exists, then it should be in some way measurable. And at the simplest, you know, the very, very simplest level, and science should operate that way, you know, work from the known to the unknown, um, that if the soul leaves the body at death, then the mass, the weight of the body uh, will, will change. And so I, I can see exactly the logic behind it. Where, where accusations of fraud might be leveled would be later on. Um, people just using that uh, for, their own, for their own purposes without checking it or without you know, developing it further. Um, is, is that fraud, though, or is it just... You know, it, depends, a, it depends you know, on whether they actually are aware of, of the problems with the original experiment. Because if they are, and they're only stating categorically that the experiment exists and it proved uh, that the weight of the soul was 21 grams as a de facto uh, reality, then that's fraudulent. You know, if they're presenting that... If they're according going, to if they're, McDougall, it wasn't fraudulent, and he believed that it no, was 21 grams... Yeah, McDougall uh, isn't in error. He he conducted a perfectly good uh, first-stage experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, the fraud would exist if somebody then tried to pass that off, being fully aware of the problems with the experiment as a, as a fact. Um, and that's that's often the case with haunted places. You know, often the person selling tickets for the ghost hunt will be aware that the that the legend is untrue or is is isn't uh, verifiable. Um, and there are many, many, many cases over here in the UK where a myth or, has grown up, um, even in quite recent times, 
that that's been fully disproved on numerous occasions, but then people will still use the original ghost story. And this is, if you remember our guest a few weeks ago, MJ Wayland, was making this very point that they that they use the original story as the basis for selling tickets to to the ghost investigation. Um, you know, they don't correct the the account uh, that they know is to be to be an error. So that that I would say is fraudulent. But no, certainly McDougall wasn't fraudulent. He was, yeah, you know, he was the just set off to do an experiment. The interesting thing is, and this has really been my kind of my pet peeve now, is that it's really difficult. How can I say this to you? I mean, if you take evidence, what is evidence? Evidence is facts that you use to. Um, to, what's the word I'm looking to... Uh, build your case. Build your case, right? But you don't necessarily have to use things that go against your case. I, I think in a, lot, in a lot of instances, and science can be very, very guilty of this, as indeed... And they are, that's research. what I was saying, yes. Um, very, very selective in the choice of what evidence you present inside in, in your findings... Um, and, you know, I think therein lies a problem. And there have been many, many scientists um, who have been very selective in what they present. And indeed, if we just, if we bring this straight into the paranormal, there are, there are you know, a lot of sceptical researchers who do not present the full picture um, where it might favour a perhaps paranormal explanation. Equally, there are a lot of paranormalists who don't present the, the, the full explanation where it might favour a more, more normal explanation. And so you, you can be very, very selective about the evidence that you present. Um, right. And you can... It's very, very... I, the whole of the eugenics um, that was practised by, by... the Oh, yeah, there you go, was, right there. You know, you you have the very very selective use of evidence to further a cause, and history is littered with you know science being selectively used uh, by the by the you know, the pro and anti lobbies. Uh, statistics are you know again used in the same way. So uh, yeah, I think we talk about. I I prefer not to use the word evidence. Um, and we were talking earlier, and you heard me use the word information because I think evidence is is uh, a word that that is perhaps for me a little hard edged because if I say we have found evidence, people might get the wrong impression and think that we have found confirmatory uh, proof of something when actually what we found is. Uh, a set of temperature measurements or a set of sound recordings that are interesting pieces of information, uh, but they, you know, I, 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 I'm reluctant to actually call them evidence, although it's technically correct. Well, some people actually say it proved, which is even further from the truth. Exactly. Um, you know, when when we conduct an investigation, what we're doing is is information gathering. Um, exactly. And then, you know, from that information, we form a hypothesis, and from the hypothesis, we try and devise a test um, to see if the if the idea that we came up with, if the hypothesis holds holds you know holds good, or does it fall down? Um, and then, you know, we look at look at the results and maybe redefine mm -hmm. the test. Uh, that's how science always works, or at least that's how. 
<laughs> in theory. You know, science is a bit like communism. It's great in theory, but in practice, it's not quite so good. Um, but, you know, evidence... We, there's other words that we use as well, um, changing the subject slightly. The word vigil, uh, it's very, very popular over here to describe an investigation as a vigil. Um, and it's something that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago we stopped doing because it has a religious connotation. And when you say I know, to, doesn't it, yeah. But when in, you in some cases, client, isn't, it, isn't it really, in, in nowadays? With some people it is, but when you say yeah. to a client, you know, I'm going to bring a group of people around and we're going to sit in your room and have a vigil, you mm-hmm. can, you can, you know, it, it can actually have some quite damaging effects on people. You know, they think that, you know, you're going to get all these cuckoo uh, occultists starting to turn up with Ouija boards, when in actual fact you get perfectly normal people, you know, drinking your tea and eating your biscuits. Um, you so, so the word vigil is, is something... You know, you've got to be very, very careful with words you use. Um, it would be quite... Re- only in this past week, um, I was in, uh, asked to go and talk to uh, a family who have been experiencing some, some quite difficult and unusual things taking place. Um, and the person who, who, who they first turned to was a psychic medium. Um, that was their choice, and I have no issue with the, with that being their choice. But the words that the psychic medium uh, was using were were quite strong, definitive words. Oh, you have a poltergeist. Oh, I can sense it's an evil presence. Um, and of course, you can imagine the the effects <laughs> such words had on the family. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that. Uh, as much as whether you would agree with it or not, that could be the psychic medium's reality. Otherwise, that's their beliefs. I mean, uh, well, I, be, I, but... I understand where you're going with, but if you bring a psychic medium in and you're asking them to give you, it's like bringing in a meter and then trying to not like the results you get with it. I mean, <laughs> that's what you well... get. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, get, if you ask a psychic, they are going to talk in terms of their own belief structure. Um, but, but it was the way that, that such... Uh, it's actually the use of the words, uh, not the beliefs behind them, because um, you know, there, uh, the whole conversation was, you know, was much longer than, than I've just illustrated. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the medium said, you know, oh, well, we, I would call it a poltergeist, um, and I'm sensing it's evil, but you've got no need to worry uh, it because it's not. No. Um, it, you have no need to worry. Um, what, what you need to do is to put this crystal here and uh, wave some smudge sticks around, and it'll be gone. Oh, uh, now, okay, I've got no problem with, with the reassurance, and in fact, you know. Some people do get reassured by this idea that you can mm-hmm. bless the house and you can you can do these simple rituals to make yourself and uh, to make your house feel more comfortable. But you have this underlying fear of the words because what then happened was the person had never heard the term poltergeist before, um, strange as it may seem, because they weren't a fan of, of some television programs and they, they didn't have an interest in the paranormal. So the first thing they did was Google it. Um, and they came across the you know, the tales of the Enfield poltergeist and others, and you know websites that said that poltergeists were mm-hmm. were you know malevolent, uh, that they damaged things, that they set fire to things, that they poured water on things, and of course all of these 
you know, all of these uh, ideas then start to race through the mind to the point where the two, uh, the the children involved were shipped out to a grandparents for forty eight hours um, because they didn't want to be, you know, put into a position, or the parents didn't want to put right. them into a position right. where they could be at risk. Um, and it, it's just because of the wording. If she had said, "Oh yeah, there's a spirit here, and if you want to get rid of it, you know." Using smudge sticks and put some crystals round. It's not quite as um, effective at, at upsetting people as strong words like poltergeist or it's evil. Um, yeah, you, you, know, you know, the interesting, the interesting yeah. thing is, is that you know, even if you don't, sometimes people still make up their own. For instance, I did an investigation. Uh, a family asked us to come in and, and do an investigation. They, they thought someone was doing it. So we went in and you know, we, we did our thing, and uh, whatever we got, we put on a CD, gave it to them, and said, okay, this is what we got. We really don't think there's anything, you know, for you to worry about, blah, 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 blah. Well, I just received a call from it, and the husband had, was hurt at work. The, the baby is, is now, uh, um, what do you call, diabetic, and, and some other things, and, and they want to move out of the house. And there really was nothing to, mm. you know, to really do this. Are they creating their own? Well, are yeah. they creating their own haunting? Well, to an extent, that's often the case, and that's one of the reasons why I have. Uh, I always caution investigators about dealing with what with people's homes. There's a there's a world of difference between doing a castle. Or a or a, uh, a place, a pub, where, or, a pub yeah. or or you know a, a commercial building where where people don't live to mm-hmm. doing somebody's home because the you know the wrong word you say the wrong word at the wrong time um, even we have uh, you know obviously like a list of questions that we that we uh, we would like to ask mm-hmm. um, but that list of questions took us quite a few years to actually develop uh, with help from psychologists um, so that we we made sure... I, I would love to see those questions, Steve, by the way, because we have our own. I'm just curious. I'll, bri- I'll bring a copy over with me, but... Oh, very cool. That we have to cool. make sure that the questions aren't leading or misleading and mm-hmm. that you don't, you know, that the investigator doesn't offer any form of diagnosis. Right. Um, quite, you know... As happened last week, the first question virtually um, that the, the client will ask you is, so what do you think is happening? Um, you know, what is it? And, and the stock answer I always come out with these days is, well, you wouldn't go to a doctor and ask him to give you a medicine without him doing an examination, would you? Right. you know, so it's not really fair of me to punt a, you know, a, a guess as to what's going on until I've had an opportunity to look at all of the possibilities. And that they find quite reassuring because you are acting responsibly um, mm-hmm. and you're, you're demonstrating that you know, you're not rushing in headlong with, with gadgets and Ouija boards and offers of explanations that may or may not ultimately be, uh, prove to be correct. You know, I, you know, I really, very, I really blame, I really blame the telly for all of the, this problem with all this evil stuff that's going on. Because, oh, very uh, much, very much. I, I, I think it's just blown up so much, and uh, I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying that evil doesn't exist because, you know, being a Catholic, you know, I believe in uh, good and evil, uh, but 
it's certainly not in any uh, capacity that what's going on there. And, and there are so many people out there with little or no training who call themselves demonologists that, that add that on top of the You know, going to a place with a demonologist just to start with this is totally wrong, in my, in my opinion, anyways. Well, I think, you know, I was watching uh, an interesting program over here a few weeks ago. It was about pornography. Um, and there is a... <laughs> Okay, I'm sure there's a connection here, Steve. <laughs> there is, there is. Bear with me. Um, what it what it basically said is people start off with quite um, tame pornography, um, topless pictures, and they they soon. Uh, lose the degree of excitement and, and arousal that it gives them, and so over time the 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 pornography that they that they look at becomes more and more extreme and It struck me while they were saying it that 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 actually is quite a good analogy for amateur ghost hunting because they started off 10 or 15 years ago quite content to go into a a dark building. And they were, you know, they were happy to jump and scream at all of the little noises and the, the, the scratches and bumps. But then that got boring, and they wanted something more. And we see this progression up to, it's evil, um, it's a murderer. To now, it's a full-on, you know, ghost hunters don't don't hunt ghosts anymore. They're fighting the devil almost every single night. You know, uh, to the point where you know, I don't think there are any good ghosts left. This must um, be Revelation, then, huh? And it, well, yeah, it's end of the world scenario. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was I was watching a documentary. Uh, Darren Brown investigates. It was a repeat that, of, a, of an earlier program about a, an American, and it was called um, Darren Brown investigates the Ghost Hunter. And the whole program was about Lou Gentili. Uh, who who actually branded himself uh, from you know, from the opening titles of the program right the way through is a demonologist uh, and talked about uh, how he has confronted the devil demons and evil spirits at every twist and turn um, and never once referred to himself you know as a as a good old-fashioned ghost hunter and i do think you know there is this i think a uh, good analogy to be made with pornography. Um, you know, it gets boring sitting there night after night with not very much happening. Um, and so you you ramp it up. You ramp up the fear even more to get the, the additional thrill. Um, and the ghost hunters become demonologists, become exorcists, become, you know, involved in... Uh, confrontation with the spirits look at look at ghost uh, adventures and some of the others we've gone from your you know if we look at the 1930s you've gone from the pipe smoking ghost hunter in 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 uh, smoking jacket and slippers to swat combat equipped ghost hunters with every piece of conceivable technology excepting guns and i'm sure they're going to be in the next series um <laughs> you know, it's just ramping up the fear factor all the time and bigging up the bragging rights of the ghost hunters. Did you know, you know by the way, that, that people have actually tried to shoot a ghost, by the way? Just oh, yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. Just that, thought I thought that. Right, goes right the way back to the Victorian era. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, there's been several cases where shots have been fired at, uh, at both indoors and out at, at spooks and spectres. But, uh, no, what we're dealing with now is if... I was watching uh, the unfortunate incidents that were, invo- uh, that were unfolding in Massachusetts, in Boston, uh, a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, 
And the uniforms that the, that the uh, police SWAT teams were wearing are not really that much radically different now from your average ghost hunter. Um, really? Well, except for the hard helmet and the gun. Um, well, I don't know. I've seen some of those same. where they put the cameras right on their helmets. That's like, there's a technical reason, you know, but uh, apart from the gun and the hard helmet, you know, there isn't a lot of difference. Mm. You know, I can, I've seen lots of pictures of ghost hunters where they're, you know, they've got the body armor on and they've got, you know, equipment strapped to every, uh, you know, all, you know, all different parts of the body. Um, and they use their equipment like guns. I, I guess that's why the laser thermometer is so damn popular. Uh, it I looks like a gun that shoots. Well, it looks like a gun. It shoots a beam of laser light. It's, you know, it's an yeah. interesting thing, isn't it? But isn't that going? I thought that was pretty much, you, you talk about orbs and EMF and whatever you... <laughs> no, I mean, no, I no. thought the laser thermometer was long gone. Uh, it's still got its uses because it, it can only measure, you know, solid objects. It can't right. measure floaty things. But it's, it's often quite useful to be able to know the temperature of a wall or a surface or a, an object, oh, isn't it? The so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Too. Um, I have one uh, my, I have one according to the chat room, the pizza it. bell just went off. It's true. It's true. I heard the... You heard the uh, I, I didn't the hear it tonight. I normally hear oh. it. On Skype, so thank, uh, it so thank you, Heath. <laughs> so, anyways, um, one thing I, I do want to mention is that, we, of course, we didn't get our guest in, uh, evidently. Some no, I'll, kind of I'll try and problem. schedule Sean for next week. So we'll, we'll schedule him. Schedule him? Yeah, we'll but, reschedule him. We'll reschedule him. Wow, for next week. But anyway, Steve, uh, anything you got coming up? Um, at the moment, no, I've got a, uh, a relatively quiet week. I do uh, have a, a little investigation to, to keep looking at and uh, working towards these documentaries for the summer. So that cool. should keep me busy. And, of course, you've got Spirit Quest here in October, so that will be exciting. I, that's going to be the highlight of my year after the here birth of Ghostbuster number three. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and, um, anyway. Uh, the recordings, I've got to say those sort of things. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, I do want to mention, you, you know, I, I think on my paranormal study group this this month, um, every third Tuesday I run a paranormal study group out of circles with, I think I might do it on the red light sir, uh, seance and actually try to re do some recording and stuff as it goes on, on temperature and some other sounds and so forth. So I'll let you know how I make out on that. Anyways, time to wrap it up. Good night. Tune in tomorrow night. Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojin at Pararex. Ghost Channel Beyond. From Steve and I, we'd like to say good night. God bless, everyone. Good night. God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.